everyone. My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Chris Lazary, head coach of the Saginaw Spirit. Chris is one of those coaches who you quickly tag as someone with a true passion in the game. From his tactics and take every opportunity mindset to his personable approach when dealing with player issues, he showcases the multiple characteristics of a modern hockey coach and listeners should learn a ton from his story to date. With that, here is Chris Lazary, head coach of the Saginaw Spirit. Today we're joined by Chris Lazary, head coach of the Saginaw Spirit. Chris, thanks for joining me. Ryan, thanks for having me. I've been, uh, you know what, uh, we just drove back to Saginaw, I guess a week ago, and I listened to about 80 of your, your guests, so all primed and ready to go here. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I hope you enjoyed them. I think we've had a number of great guests on, and hopefully you, uh, you can be another one to add to that list. So how about you just talk about yourself a little bit to start, including where you're from, and then touch on your involvement in sports throughout your youth. Sure. From Whitby, Ontario, uh, born and raised. Um, you know what, like I, when I played sports, I played baseball growing up. I didn't play hockey until I was about 13. And my path was I played a year double, uh, house league, one year double A, two years of triple A, and then I played junior. And, um, you know, lucky enough uh, to play for Dave Branch um, in the minor hockey system. Um, you know, it's funny because a guy moved on to my street named Blaine Down. He just retired from playing uh, hockey about a year ago now. He moved on to my street, ended up becoming one of my best friends and just going to the games and practices and watching him play. I got kind of the bug to want to make that team. So I made it like a mission of mine. And, and fortunately, within a few years, I got got to play on that AAA team. And I think being around a guy like Dave Branch and Barkley Branch and just seeing guys that uh, – work in hockey and, and hockey was their life and the, and the way they went about things. I just, I fell in love with the idea of being a hockey player, but working in hockey in general. And, uh, and here I am today. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear the, uh, where the spark is. And uh, those are a couple of great people. Uh, you know, the French name is well known in Ontario and anytime you can interact with those people as coaches and other p- uh, players and things like that, while you're playing, it's uh, it only, uh, you know, feels that desire to work in hockey moving forward and uh, it's not always hockey directly sometimes it's other sports but interesting to hear your uh, your take and your experience so looking at early coaching roles you had a few of them I'm just going to list off a few of them uh, you know you worked with Whitby and AAA program uh, Team Ontario and the program of excellence a number of different things uh, talk about those experiences and how they quickly developed you as a coach you know early on. <laughs> Yeah, so like when I finished playing junior, I went. It was the double cohort year, so it's the year they got rid of OAC in high school. And I, uh, I went. I implied I went to McMaster for a year. So when I was done playing junior in Orangeville, I went to Mac for a year, and it was my first year of my life not doing anything hockey related. So I quickly figured out um, during that year that I wanted to work in hockey and I wanted to do something. So I actually dropped out of university. For the kids or the people listening to this, I actually went back and got my degree online eventually. So, but I dropped out and I, uh, I emailed about a hundred teams about coaching and Guelph Junior B was actually where I got my start. And what I did there is I was an eye in the sky and I wrote scouting reports about the players that were playing on the Junior B team that belonged to the Storm. So I got to actually present my reports to Dave Barr and he kind of gave me some feedback on how to evaluate players and scouts. So I got my way, my start that way. I wasn't on the bench, but I was on the ice for practice and got my feet wet. And what I did is from there, I moved back home and I got involved with uh, a minor midget team uh, in Whitby. And it was a, a really elite team. They were just coming off a of Bantam OHF all Ontario gold medal loss. So I was lucky enough to get in there. And, and really that set me up that first year. They were an elite team. We had a ton of players that were drafted a first round pick couple um, early seconds and and being on a winning team and being in the minor midget year, you quickly get exposed to uh, the OHL scouts and and what that year is all about. And you kind of, I got an opportunity to begin my network. So that's really where I got really eye opening to see, you know, how big the minor midget year was and and to be around other hockey guys that were working in hockey and just, you know, in, in, in 
talking to different coaches and scouts that were asking about our players really kind of get a feel for what it would be like to be in the OHL. So I did a couple of years of Whippy and then, um, you know, I was lucky enough to get into the Marley program actually. So I, I emailed a ton of teams in the GTHL asking if I could be a coach. And the reason I wanted to move from Whippy to the GTHL, I just thought I had two really good years in Whippy. And if I could get into the G there would be a way to again continue to network and and work with maybe more elite players and just get into that whole thing. Because at the end of the day, I didn't play and I had to find a way to make a connection and make myself relevant. So I thought the GTHL would be the next step. So again, I emailed a ton of teams, and the only team that really wrote back was the Marlies, and it was Dan Brown, and it was the '94 group that had. And we eventually had seven players off that team drafted to the NHL, but having that elite caliber team. And especially going into the minor midget year, because we didn't even ban them, and we won in Ontario, we went to minor midget. And uh, again, like because we had so many elite players, I don't know, three or four first round picks, and I don't know, thirteen guys drafted or whatever it was. Like every OHL team wanted to pick your brain. So again, it was just an opportunity to network. So to bring you to the program of excellence stuff. Those two years in minor midget, I got to know Rob Kitamara, who's now scouting in the NHL for Tampa Bay, but at the time was the head scout for the OHL. And getting to know him um, opened up an opportunity where the U, the OHL started that U16 uh, OHF program that they run in the summer. And one of the very first years, I went out and I did it in Sudbury. And um, I met a guy named Ryan Berg, and, and Bergie was working through Hockey Canada doing that program. But long story short one day he needed somebody picked up at an airport i was living in toronto he asked if i could do him a favor so i i rent a van i picked these kids up flying in for thunder bay that at the time were going into team ontario which is the u17 they've changed the format now but uh so when i go deliver these kids in oshawa to the rink i see kid amara out there smoking a dart and uh no longer smokes so if he ever listens to this but he was hammering a dart and he sees me pull up and he kind of gives me a weird look. And he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I'm dropping guys off for Bergie. And he goes, well, what are you doing this week? And I think at the time I might've been working midnights. I can't remember what I was doing, but I said nothing. And uh, he goes, do you want to be a camp GM for the week? And I was like, hundred percent I'm in. So he, uh, I dropped the kids off. I said, give me an hour. So I didn't have any clothes. Everything was in Toronto. So I wheeled down to a local Walmart and I'm buying like golf shirts and, and shoes and pants like trying to look like I'm ready for a week and uh you know what that that is really this if you want to get into like the breaks in hockey that week that just by randomly picking up guys and doing a favor and dropping them off and seeing Rob Kitamara at that exact moment uh changed my tra- trajectory in hockey because from that I met Nick Sinclair, who was also one of the GMs for the teams because they had four teams and you had a GM that kind of, you just manage the team, make sure they're on schedule, kind of set lines, like do everything for the week because it was really competitive. You just oversaw your team. So I got to build my relationship with Nick and eventually down the line, he became a GM in Sarnia and, and uh, always said that if he ever got into the league, he would, he would bring me into the fold. And he was true to his word. He got hired and about three weeks later, he brought me into Sarnia. So long story of, of how I got into the OHL tied into that. But uh, those two years of minor midget meeting Rob Kitamara, getting really, really lucky meeting Nick Sinclair led me to the OHL. Yeah, for sure. And I think, that it kind of, once again, like I say with many people, it goes to show that if you're willing to uh, do the little tasks, sometimes it leads to something bigger, you know, running people from an airport or running them to the rink. A lot of people don't look at that as a way to become, you know, a GM in the program of excellence, but because of that and because of the connection that you had there and, you know, timing of seeing someone outside the rink, uh, you know, more opportunities came and uh, time back into the Toronto Marlies is just another thing where you're putting yourself out there and, and looking for that next step and you had success with Whitby, but we're also looking at your own development as well in the GTHL and some more exposure. And I think it's uh, it's really good to work with kids and, and work with teams and scouts during that draft year, whether it be in the OHL or the QMJHL, wherever it may be, just because like you said, you do meet so many different people and there's so many different things that you have to experience both as a coach and promoting the kids and, and keeping them, uh, you know, level in, in their expectations and things like that. So, a number of great experiences. Uh, before we go into some of the junior work, I want to touch on your time at the Bottle Steel Pro Camps. Maybe just talk about that opportunity, how it presented itself, and that kind of your role there. Well, I, I mean, that so that Marley team on it had Patrick McCarron, and at the time, Patty McCarron's old man old Saint, owned St. Mike's. So when we finished the minor midget year, he put me in front of 
Rich Ricci, who's still there, to interview for one of the assistant jobs. And Rich was just coming back from the OHL at the time, so he needed to hire staff. So um, I got in with, I got, got the job, and we ended up moving to Toronto, and I coached there for a few years. But Matt Nickel owns and runs his gym out of the back of the arena in St. Mike's. So at the time, we come in, and I got introduced to Matt, and unbelievable guy. Um, we hit it off right away. And, and so when I was, I was living in Toronto, I was living right behind the rink. In the summer, I know he was doing his biosteel stuff. So I've never at this point have been around NHL players. So I thought, you know what? Like every day they're on the ice, I'm going to walk over. It's literally 30 seconds where I live. I'm going to watch these guys skate and just watch NHL players. Like what are their habits? How are they in practice? Like how good are they really live? At that point, I had zero exposure. So, of course, I knew Matt through the year that I was there. And, and one day I show up. And he knew I was living right behind the rink. I show up and the guy that was supposed to run the skate, I think it was Cam Stewart, who's now scouting. He's actually Perfetti's agent. He couldn't make it for whatever reason. So Matt's like, hey, do you want to, you got some time, you want to run these guys through a skate? And I'm like, instantly I say yes, because I think if you just, like you said earlier, you say yes to stuff and put yourself out there. But I knew I was in over my head. So I get out and I'm, you know, trying to think on my feet, what kind of drills can we do with these guys? Like, and I'm nervous. I remember getting up to the board and I'm shaking, trying to draw my first drill. And, and uh, you know what though, one thing about hockey players is they're good people. And, and there was a lot of guys there that kind of knew that I've never been around those type of players, but what happened is I quickly, they made me, made me feel comfortable. I thought I did a decent job and, and uh, Maddie kept bringing me back anytime Cam couldn't do it. And eventually I got, got to the point where I was running and I think I did it for three years where I'd run his summer skates for that group through the week. And then at the end of the summer, Maddie and Gary Roberts would bring him in and do the biosteel pro camp. So Matt obviously running the guys through the week said, do you want to help Gary out at the pro steel camp and, and kind of just, you know, push box and be a part of it. And I was like hundred percent. Cause then you get a whole nother whack of NHL players. And, and, uh, but it was the best thing for me that I ever did because you quickly learn, like at the end of the day, even though they're NHL players, they're just hockey players. They want to be pushed. They want pace. They want you to treat them with respect. And, uh, you know, it's not about you. It's about them. And I, you know, a lot of times would take feedback off the guys or I would challenge the guys. Hey, if you got specific drills that you love, bring them in. I'm going to steal your drill, but we can run them. And what I got to the point was I started getting some of those guys up to draw drills on the board. So what I was trying to do, and I communicated that with the players is if you guys ever want to get into coaching and you want to do a drill today, here's an a great opportunity. You guys think it's so easy get in front of the board and explain a drill yourself and run a drill. So we had a bunch of guys start stepping up and, you know, Danny Winnick and Jay Harrison and different guys wanted to, to test it out. So I got to steal some drills. They got some board time together. We worked together. And I think development wise as a coach, best thing that ever happened because I grew leaps and bounds in those years working for, for Matt and being around those players and just studying how they went about their business and, and how they carried themselves. And, you know, at the time, Anthony Stewart and Chris Stewart were there, like Wayne Simmons was there, just unreal people and unreal guys that worked so extremely hard and just treated me with respect. And, and uh, it was a great experience. I had a blast doing it. And, uh, you know, anytime in Toronto, I like to drop back in the summer and see if I can catch some skating once in a while. Yeah, that's a, another amazing experience and putting yourself in a position to be noticed and get involved and you know anytime you can have NHL level exposure whether it's through a team or, or simply through the players in practice I think uh, like you said that's an opportunity you can't pass up and something you need to jump at when you can and um, a lot of coaches that I've talked with in the past have talked about learning from the players as well so it's interesting to hear that you were able to do that by having them you know draw some plays and and kind of get that feedback as well so just kind of um, you know, almost elevates the coach-player relationship in the way that you can learn from them. So I know you talked talk about St. Michael's there a little bit. Uh, maybe just talk about your early role in junior with them and then talk about how your move into that position and, you know, getting experience with video and things like that really helped you kind of moving forward. Yeah, like, so for me, like when I set out in my Guelph days, I knew that I wanted to be a coach. Now I remember in Guelph, I thought like when I first started, I'll be five years and I can make the OHL. Like, obviously it took a lot longer than that. I was naive, but I knew I had a progression. So the reason why I wanted to do those minor midget years was I wanted, I knew I wasn't going to go for minor midget. Like I meet a lot of coaches and it kind of reminds me of myself, but a lot of these guys think they're going to go from minor midget to the OHL because they coached a good minor midget team. And, and I think if you're doing minor midget for that, like it's the wrong reasons. You should do the minor midget to start your network and build your network, but use that as a platform to get into the, the tier twos and the junior Bs and continue to develop your resume and develop your relationships, your network, and then go up the ladder naturally. So for me, 
I knew that my next step after my minor midget years would be the junior. And then from there, like to try to become a head coach at the junior level. So my network was established. It was obviously, it wasn't huge, but it was established and I could continue to grow that. But what I needed to do was upgrade my resume, get out of minor hockey and start adding junior. So I got lucky enough again with St. Mike's, which I think is the best tier two program in, in Ontario, maybe the, the country, like it's all about development. It's all about trying to, Really, like everyone says, well, there you go there, it's an NCAA thing, but it's not. Like we had guys that played for us that were going to go to the OHL, like Connor Brown, for an example. And uh, But they're both. But really, it's like a great opportunity to develop and kind of further your, your career as a player. So for me, getting the St. Mike's name or brand associated with my name, I couldn't pass that up. I thought, hell, like you put St. Mike's on your resume, that's, that's huge for if you're applying for jobs in Canada. People are going to know that team as opposed to – you know, whatever, like a, a different team. So for me, I did two years there. And again, like you get into video, you, uh, Rich Ricci's just coming back from the OHL. He's had an unreal career there to get to learn from him and just structuring a day to day. How do you structure practice, handling players, handling NCAA schools, handling OHL teams, agents, all the stuff that goes into coaching, travel, food, like you name it, you learn it. And <clears throat> Really, like I still, I miss those days. Like the Friday nights at St. Mike's were just, I loved it. I couldn't wait for a Friday and you get to coach in every day at the St. Mike's arena, which is an absolute treat, you know, and you're, you know, you're in it. So for me, like I, I, I scouted a ton when I was still there with minor midget, even though I didn't work for a team just to continue to work my network. I worked on my skills as a coach at St. Mike's and I knew that I was using St. Mike's as the platform, obviously to develop. But my next step was to try to find a head coaching job at, the tier two or the junior B level. So again, everything's about development. You can't be in a rush. I was lucky enough when I, before I even wanted to start coaching, I met uh, an interesting day with Jeff Tui where I was reading a book called Roger's world and, and Jeff was in the book. So I reached out to Jeff via email at the time. He was a GM at Peterborough and asked if I can meet him. I, I told him I want to get into coaching, but I have zero idea what I'm doing. So Jeff, if anyone's ever met him, he's an unbelievable guy. Like he asked, he said, look, you can come down to Peterborough and we can talk. So we set a time, I went down to Peterborough and I thought like, you know, at the time I was living with me, like I'll drive a half for 45 minutes and I'll spend like an hour with Jeff. The guy spent like multiple hours, walked me around the rink. I told my favorite player was Chris Pronger. He showed me where Stahl was like, walked me through the Peterborough organization, took the time out of his day. And um, the one thing that he said with me, and I always tell their coaches, this is like, you, you, you have to learn how to coach kids if you want to be successful. If you can coach kids, you'll be able to coach junior players or adults. And you can't be in a rush, do a great job at the, at the level you're at and jobs will find you. So to tie that back in, like at St. Mike's, I just tried to do the best job I could knowing that I wanted to get a head job and hopefully one of those jobs would find me and, and eventually it did. So, um, but the junior level, like you learn a ton really quickly because it's so different from minor hockey in a good way. It's junior hockey. So. Yeah, no, it's great to hear uh, that you had a positive experience there and were able to work with that program. And, and Jeff is a former guest on the podcast. I'm not sure if you're able to listen to that episode. Uh, I'll echo the fact that he's a great guy and willing to uh, really reach out and, and show you as much as he can and, and take as much time as needed. So uh, when you have those type of people uh, in your career path, it's definitely easy to learn and take things from them. But uh, you talked about that head coaching role. Before you got into that, you actually spent a year with York uh, University as an assistant coach. Um, you know, another opportunity to learn to work with another group of players. Just talk about your role there and kind of what you learned uh, at that level. Yeah, so I did two years at St. Mike's and I was scheduled to go back for a third and the team was like right on the cusp of winning and um, it was tough to leave. But I, at the time I was applying to, to head coaching jobs after my second year and I still couldn't even get an interview. And like I always, I saved the file of all the jobs I've ever applied to and the amount of no's I have. And I'm not kidding you, like there's, there's over a hundred, there's a couple hundred emails in there where anything in Canada opened anything at the junior A level, I applied for every single time. So over the years, like you get a ton of no's. And so again, like you're sitting there trying to evaluate, how can I achieve my goal? At the time I was going back, I was, so I was in school uh, taking courses and I thought, well, if I work at York, like that's another level up. And maybe if I apply to these junior A or junior B jobs coming from the university level, it'll hold more weight. And then I'm on campus at York where I was going to school to finish my degree, like it all kind of tied in. So uh, when I got the opportunity to take the job, I took it. And again, like one of the players on the team, his uncle was the GM of Waterloo, which is where I eventually got my head job. And, and um, 
So, yeah, it was a great experience. Again, like you're dealing with, we had guys from the American League. We had East Coast League guys. We had high-end CHL players. It is a whole different ball of wax at that level. So growth opportunities as well. Like as a coach, that's what I was looking for. And I got that through York. So you really quickly learn when you're dealing with men. And at the time, like these guys are men. They're not junior age guys anymore. Such a different animal how they want to be talked to how they want practices the pace the structure dealing with people that have other stuff in their lives so if you are coaching pro and people have families like how do you work with guys that it's not just coming to the rink and hanging out with the players it's like you, you got so much more to do so to me it was a great year I learned a ton and that that level of hockey is like unbelievable it's it you make a mistake it's in your net so you really get challenged as a coach like how you run your video sessions the detail that you put into teaching players and so on and so forth and then uh you know obviously i use that platform to get my my job in junior b but it's a great level for anyone that's out there that hasn't seen a game like do yourself a favor and go watch it because it's phenomenal hockey man and these guys they play hard like every night they play hard yeah, everybody that we've uh, talked to that have had that opportunity to go in youth sports and, and work with people at the university or college level, it really is a different beast in itself. And uh, like you said, you have players come from the HL, high-level CHL players, and at very different stages in their life. So you just, like like working with Modern Midget or practicing with the NHL guys, you, uh, you get, you're exposed to another group, and, and they like to be taught and interact a different way. So um, it's just another skill set to learn and, and add to your coaching ability. So as you said, before the OHL, another junior role you would hold is head coach with the Waterloo uh, Junior B team. Touch on that uh, year and then the success you saw winning the Midwest Conference Championship. Yeah, so again, the guys that are will, like wanting to get out there and like I meet a lot of coaches that pass up opportunities over money. It's they don't make enough or they can't find a way to make it work. Like when I worked in Guelph, I made nothing. Through my minor hockey years, I made nothing. Even when I was with the Marlies, we made nothing. Like I know those coaches there make full time. I made $300 a month that tr- carried my travel expenses or helped my travel. I was still coming out of pocket on the 300, but we just, it wasn't about that. And we didn't, you know, myself and Danny Brown didn't believe in taking money. So, you know, you go to at uh, St. Mike's, I wasn't making any money. It was like 350 a month as well. York was free. Waterloo, I made 10 grand. So again, like uh, when I talk to people, like it's not a, you don't try to brag like, Hey, I did all this for nothing and I made no money. But the reality is, is like when you don't have a massive background or a huge network, like if you really want to be a coach, you've got to find ways and, and take jobs like real life jobs that fit your schedule and don't do things for money. So you look at the Waterloo job. I was living in Toronto and I was driving every day, six days a week from, from Toronto, Bathurst and, and uh, St. Clair. So right behind St. Mike's. So I was dri- driving from there to Waterloo and back every day and I would leave six in the morning and I'd be home nine thirty ten 10 at night and did it every day. But it was the first ever job that I remember going in for the interview and they called me and said, look, we want you to be the head coach. Would you take the job? And like without hesitation it was absolutely. And you know, Waterloo's program at the time wasn't like they were coming off massive successful seasons. They've had actually a really good run, but um, what I saw was an opportunity at junior B to take a program that's been average and make it great. And I thought I would spend a few years there. I got really lucky and only had to spend one, but that's because Nick Sinclair became a GM that's summer after my first year, but our junior B team, we had one 20 year old, we were one of the youngest, you know, junior B teams in, in uh, our league and in, in the GOJHL, but we were all about development. It was about taking what we thought were the best players and trying to develop these guys and make them the best hockey players they could be. And junior B is a different struggle. Like you got a lot of guys that still have the, the carrot of wanting to go to the next level. And you have a lot of guys that are already in university that are just playing because they love to play. So you, you got to balance both sides of the ledger as a coach, and understand the people that you're coaching and, and what makes them, you know, what's their motivation, why are they doing it? And then work accordingly from there. But man, it was like, it was unreal because I was still taking courses at York. So I had to enroll to be a full-time student. So I took three courses a semester so I could take OSAP. So I would take the the 10 grand and, and my OSAP and combine that as like a salary income. So once I paid off my school for the year, whatever was left over was mine. Luckily my wife was working, but that's how I made my bills and made ends meet. But I would go in every single day and treat it like a full-time job there at, and by the time I got to Waterloo, it was like 8, 8.30 in the morning after leaving at 6, 6.30. And I would spend my entire day there preparing, watching video, you know, sometimes doing schoolwork in between at the desk and then getting ready for practice, dealing with players like every single day. And, and uh, 
it was awesome, man. Like I, I, it's funny, like when you're coming through the struggle to try to get your goal, you have all these crazy things that happen. You almost miss, you miss the harder days sometimes. And I miss those Waterloo days because it was my first job as a head coach and, and uh, I had my own office and my own rink. And it was like, you know, you're so proud of, of that opportunity and you're in the rink all day. And it was just, I knew right away when I experienced that first year that there was no way I couldn't do anything else but coach for the rest of my life because I just loved the day-to-day I love the grind I love just in the rink and and you know the process of building your team so I learned so much that year and we had we were lucky we had a great team um but you know what like we didn't start with a great team that summer it was like their fifth coach in two years and we had multiple high-end top-end talent in the league one of the guys was a leading scorer they all met with me one-on-one and said no offense to you but we're just not playing here we're not coming back so our team was gutted right away but Curtis Claremont did a good job finding players, recruiting players, and giving us a skilled, fast team that we could mold into what we thought was a winning team. And, um, yeah, we got very fortunate. We won, won the Midwest before losing the Sutherland uh, Cup to uh, Caledonia. Yeah, it sounds like an outstanding experience. And, uh, you know, treating as a full-time job, you were really able to get in, the, in a rhythm and understand what needs to be done to be successful at the next level. And, uh, while it may not have been the perfect uh, team and everything coming in when you were there, you're able to help mold it into what was a successful team. And the next year, Nick St. Clair would move into Sarnia and you would get your start in the OHL. Uh, talk about that initial uh, year or so in the OHL with Sarnia and, uh, you know, just the experience of working in the OHL. That's, you know what, like, <clears throat> so he, when he got hired, you know, I'm back in my head. I'm like, well, I hope he makes true on his promise to bring me in. But I never asked him. Like, I, he just said, you want to interview for the job eventually? And I was like, absolutely. So um, at the time, I was actually talking a little bit with the Oshawa Generals and, and uh, Roger Hunt about maybe getting in there as an, a second assistant and basically doing it for free. And I would have found a way to make it work. But Nick offered me a job in, in, uh, in Sarnia. And I'll never forget because I was in the library studying at university. I see his call come in. So I go out to the common area and, and talk. And he's like, Hey, what, uh, what size is your uh, track suit? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, welcome to the Sarnia sting. So it was like, uh, just the way he did it was so dramatic, but it was, it was cool because like, for me, you work so hard to get into this, to, to achieve your goal, like make the OHL and I'm doing it standing in a university library, like trying to finish my degree. So I, I don't know. I was proud of that. And I was, I mean, obviously I packed my books up that day and went home and told my girlfriend at the time, who was my fiance, that uh we got married that summer going into Sarnia but I just told her hey look like and this is I mean again to go round off like this is kind of August or July or July it was it was early July when Nick called me and I got married in July 26 so like three weeks before my wedding I find I'm going to be taking this head job in Sarnia we're going to be moving to Sarnia like we go on our honeymoon on the way back home from the honeymoon we stop in Sarnia we sign our contract I go home pack up a bunch of boxes Moved back to Sarnia. My wife stayed behind for a month and a half before eventually moving up. But uh, crazy story. Everything happened so quick. But I'm in the OHL, and and uh, I mean it's emotional because it's a dream come true. You work so long and hard for it, and you think about it every day, and you're going through all these grinds to get there. Now you're in the OHL, and luckily enough for me, I'm working you know with uh, Trevor Latowski and Andy Delmore. Like couldn't have found a better staff for my very first year to work with because make you feel comfortable give you opportunities to do stuff as a coach and just kind of like two guys that were really mentor type guys for me. And we had a ton of fun, like Lutz for anyone knows him is like salt of the earth, just best guy. And, and uh, just knowing like away from the rink, inviting us over for dinner and, you know, going out for dinner and just spending time with, with myself and my wife or as a staff, like he was such a great guy my first year to work for. And again, we had a really good team. They were coming off a dead last finish we had Chikrin, Jacob Chikrin and Pavel Zaka, first in the Euro draft, first in the OHL draft, and Jordan Cairo and Troy Lajanesh and a bunch of guys that came in out of that draft that set the foundation there for Sarnia for a while. But it was uh, such a good year because we knew we were building something and we weren't going to be the worst team. We weren't going to be the best, but we, uh, you know, a young staff that wasn't afraid to try stuff and grow with the team. And man, it's uh, it was such a cool first year and still can remember my first game on the bench and going through all of those firsts as a coach at that level like you'll never forget but again like working with elite players and getting into the OHL and just seeing how much goes into a team and what it's like and the travel and everything else like it 
big time eye opener, but really just a dream come true. And, and uh, again, like once you get a taste of it, you're like, I'm going to coach forever. Cause this is awesome. So yeah, there's no place you'd rather be in, in the rink. And uh, I always love hearing uh, the moment that you kind of get to that level that you were striving for. And um, I think even so when, when you're in a situation like Sarnia was that year, maybe, uh, you know, not having much success and having some new players, new staff, new GM, it's really an opportunity to, to try some new things and really put your own philosophy and touch on things. And uh, I think it's in those situations where you're, you're given the freedom to kind of try your own thing or think outside the box is where you, you know, do your best learning and uh, kind of grow as a coach as well. So uh, today you're with Saginaw and that was your stop after Sarnia. So just talk about the journey with Saginaw so far and then the eventual transition into head coach with the team. Yeah, so it's funny like how things work out because our second year in the league, we ended up, uh, we were making a push. We ended up trading Hayden Hodgson and and, and um, I can't remember why, but I had to sit in on that when Nick Sinclair was going to tell Hayden that he was traded. He wanted me to sit in there and have somebody else in there. And I can't remember if, if like Hatch, I don't know if he was out for laundry, had something going on from business wise, but um, so I sit in there and, and Hayden's like, Hey, like I'm, uh, you know, Nick's like, we're going to trade you to, to Saginaw and give you a, you know, fresh chance there. And he's like, you know what? Like, it's obviously disappointing to leave, but it's, it's okay. Cause my best friend plays there. And we're like, well, who's that? And he's like, Devin Pelliani. And we're like, well, Devin's coming back in the trade. <laughs> so, but that getting Pelliani is, is again, where I got a break because that year Saginaw fired their coach. Hayden was playing there and I had a great relationship with Hayden and I developed one with, with Devin and they kind of both reached out to Dave Drinkle and said like, look, if you want a guy to run your program, like this is the guy for you. He's great with his players. Like he works hard, guys love him, all those things. So what that did is kind of put a light in Dave's head to at least say like, at least I got to interview this guy. And I mean, it's not easy to get head coach interviews in the league or land jobs, but at least I had a chance to get an interview. And I think for guys listening out there, like, creating safe environments and developing relationships with your player are the most important things you can do as a coach. Like Sarnia under, under uh, Trevor and, and Hatch, like it was a safe environment for us as a staff, but for players as well. And, and then the freedom to develop relationships and really just care more about the player, about the person than the player, like that stuff is the most vital thing you're going to do as a coach. And obviously like it for in, in season stuff and trying to develop your team, like having those relationships where it's intertwined and you guys are trying to work on things together, player and coach to achieve goals is critical for success. But then if you're looking at jobs, any player that plays for you, the best reference you're ever going to have is your players. And so that kind of recommendation from those guys, when I applied for the job, at least got me an interview. And, um, you know, eventually I didn't get the head job, but but drinks offered me the associate coach job. And uh, the only reason I left and like, I love Sarnia and I do to this day, and we just got a house there. My wife and I, like, we were just like, man, we can set roots here. This is such a great place. And it is, it's an unbelievable junior hockey town. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. But I knew right away that I never played in the NHL. I don't have a huge background as a player. Nobody knows me as a coach. Like there's no way I'm going to be a head coach in this league unless an organization hires me internally, knowing that how hard I work, knowing that I know my stuff, my character, et cetera. And Hatch just took over the team. I was going to be a head coach and like, he's not going to move aside. So it was tough to leave because Hatch was so good to me. And we had a great year and I had a lot of fun with him. And I love the guy. Like he, I had a ton of fun coaching with Darren and I actually miss my day to day with him because he's just such a good, good, person and a nice nice man and and uh but he gave me his blessing i still had a year left on my deal he said look like i've been through free agency as a player like you've got to make a decision that's best for you and your family and i'll always uh understand that so i when i got offered the opportunity in saginaw i thought well if i go to saginaw spencer carberry's coming in from south carolina like he's unbelievable coach has a massive resume another chance to learn under a great guy and a guy coming from pro and you know if carbs didn't want to stay in junior forever if he's there three four five years and i work under him maybe that's where i'm going to get my opportunity so um i took the job moved over to saginaw and worked under carbs and uh again like such a professional and will be an nhl coach head coach in his career like so many good things so many eye-opening moments for me being like wow like i've got a lot development wise to do to be at that level or become a pro coach so or head coach in, in the ohl so um, you know, and then you go through it like 
carbs left after a year to go to the American League. And I thought, like, here's my opportunity. They're, you know, he left late. I think he left in August. So I thought, like, there's not a lot of time. They'll probably give me give me a chance here. And they didn't. They ended up hiring Troy Smith. So Troy comes in. I learned under Troy in a year and a half into his tenure, they make another change. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll get my opportunity mid-season. And sure enough, that's that's where I got my opportunity. And our owner at the time was very clear when he talked to our players. He said, look, look, guys, like, we're going to make Chris Lazarus the head coach here. We're going to give him the keys to a Ferrari because he really believed our team was like built to win that year. And he said, we're going to see if he can drive a Ferrari. So I'm thinking it's the last year of my contract. Like if, if we don't do well, I'm probably not going to get renewed and get to keep being a head coach. And it was an interim tag at the time. So, but again, this is where I tell guys about relationships. I was at the time I'm two and a half or two and a quarter years into this group of players in Saginaw and to a man, each one of them came up and said, look, like we got you, we can do this together, you know, push your, what you think is the way we should play, push us, coach us, teach us, develop our skills. And we'll go through the wall for you. And those guys, I had guys like elite level guys coming up and saying that to me after Dick introduced me to the team as their, their intern coach in the, in the Ferrari speech. So Again, fortunate. I had great relationships and these guys knew I loved them and care about them and I would do anything to be successful. And, and together, like you talk about player coach learning that first year, we won an unbelievable run after the coaching change. And people think it's like me doing specific things with the team. It's not. It's literally a partnership between player and coach and me not wanting to fail the players and the players not wanting to fail me and, and both groups ripping their hearts out of their chest to have success and make this thing work. And we all believe that we are a winning team. We just weren't achieving the success, the success we needed, but we knew we had an elite level team that our job now was to push Dave Drinkle leading up to the trade deadline to add players. And we wanted an absolute tear, but that's a credit to the players, not to me, because really I was just learning on my feet and those guys were just showing me the way. So, and again, like staff, Ryan Kubara, and we ended up bringing in Darren Rumble, like stepped right up to the plate. And again, as a staff, like we found a way to, have success and help each other out because you know it's it's a it's a surreal moment to be named head coach but you realize in the middle of the season you've had zero prep time and you've got to like sink or swim so thank god for those players and the relationships that we had and you know we've, now i'm into my second year going into my third year as head coach it's been okay so far hopefully it continues yeah for sure and uh it's tremendous to hear that the players were uh so accepting and willing to go through the wall for you and and just take it all in at, at that moment, because as people know, uh, any change midseason or on the fly is, is very difficult, to, especially in a head coaching position. But, uh, you know, the success was there and the players were able to uh, to help uh, the team and, and then develop as well. And one of those players um, who a lot of teams know about uh, and associate with Saginaw is Cole Perfetti, who uh, found himself selected in the first round of the NHL draft. Uh, just talk about what you see in Cole and how he has grown, uh, you know, in his time in Saginaw. Well, I've quickly learned this as a coach. Like if you want to have a successful program or you want to have players that can develop at a rapid rate, like Cole's a, like, he's got God given talent. Like, let's be honest. He's unbelievable, but he's an excellent student so he can retain information and he's very critical and, and can analyze with his, his thoughts. So like he being smart, like in the books has paid off, I think as a player with his IQ and then just being a good human being, like you're not going to find a better guy than Cole. And I know we all talk about Cole so much, but I can list our players. The thing we pride ourselves on the most here in Saginaw is we don't believe we have any bad human beings in this program. And Dave Drinkle has done a phenomenal job at looking at players, maybe that don't fit what we're looking for and making adjustments in our roster. So we, uh, it's, it's such a, and Cole's a huge part of that. Like it's such a cool experience or a great experience as a coach. You come to the rink and your environment's unbelievable because of the people you have from a staff perspective and a player perspective. And we, we honestly believe one of our competitive advantages is just because in the States, like a lot of OHL players, if they want to go to a bar in Canada, if you're 19, you can do it. Well, in the U S you, you have to be 21 or older. So these guys are forced to spend more time hanging out collectively as a group and not being able to run around and go do other stuff that happens in different junior towns. Like we are, we are lucky. Our group comes together really, really tight from a 16 year old to a 20 year old. Everybody's on the same page. So guys like Cole Perfetti and Damian Drew and the Cole Koskies and Jenkins and Wilds, those buzz deckers, like those guys drive that culture and make that, you know, cool in Saginaw to, to be accepting of any player. It doesn't matter of his age. So we've got something real special that way. And, I think a guy like Cole wants to be a pro, goes out, does everything about the right way. Like 
cares about people, wants to help the community, really invests himself into his school. Like he will be a guy that he'll play in the NHL. He'll make a ton of money, but I won't be surprised to see him get his degree because it's important to him education. And I think, you know, you combine all those things, like that's the recipe for a successful team. And then you start adding in talent and, and different stuff. But a lot of guys think, well, just give me the best players. And if they're not great, people will, will win because of talent. Like uh, I used to think like that until I got really to see the culture here and how functional these kids are. And just the type of people we have, like you'll learn a ton as a coach being around this group because they're just such good people. And, and, you know, and it starts from our ownership down and they demand, they demand that you be a good, a good human being first, and then obviously perform in your job and, and perform as a player. So, um, you know, guys like Cole, like when we drafted him fifth overall, we didn't really know how good of a kid he is, but once you spend any time with him, like you're almost more impressed about who he is as a person than you are as a, who he is as a hockey player. And um, I just think that's one of the coolest parts of, of being a coach and working with junior age players. You get different personalities, guys from different backgrounds, guys that have different goals and you get to kind of help mold and shape these kids and, and uh, watch them grow up. Like, you know, a lot of guys spend 16 to 19 or 16 to 20 in your program and you get to see them come in as basically babies and leave as men. And it's uh, that's the, the, best part of the job for me is just watching these guys over the years to develop like Damian Drew was in his first year my first year here and he's probably going to graduate out of our program this year and go into the American League and watching him from 16 year old Drew to leaving at 19 year old as our captain so cool to watch his uh his growth on and off the ice yeah when you can work with those players and I think when a player, like you said, is so good off the ice, it just makes it so much easier to coach them and, and work with them and, and they're more accountable. You know, those, those qualities do transfer to the on-ice product. So, um, you know, as skilled as someone can be without that uh, humble attitude and, and willingness to learn off the ice, I don't think there's a, a tremendous amount of growth that can happen on the ice without that mindset. So uh, one of the things that you mentioned there was uh, the fact that Saginaw is an American franchise in the OHL and there's some differences around that. Uh, just once again, talk about that a little bit more and some of the things you have to consider, whether it's, you know, travel and things like that, or even player recruitment, et cetera. Yeah. Like I, to me, we have, we have a hidden gem in the league. I don't think it's hidden anymore, but our franchise is so, so special um, for various reasons. Like one, our ownership group is stable and our, they care so much about the team, but it's not even about the team winning. It's about the team making a positive impact in the community. They care about what this team does for the community more they do about winning. Winning is a byproduct to them of doing everything right. They've hired a great GM and Dave Drinkle and it funnels all the way down through our staff of what they demand and what we're all about before results. So, um, you know, you come here, great opportunity. Like the high school here, it's one of those international bachelorette school so it's like it's it's challenging and it's good and and courses transfer back to to Canada we a lot like when I was in Sarnia you couldn't use the ice whenever you wanted because it's obviously public rink and there's tons of but here in Saginaw like players that come in here we have ice because nobody's in our rink unless we have a concert we have the ice all day every day to do whatever we want so our older guys that aren't in school that are doing university courses online like they can get on the ice every single day as much as they want our ownership just put a million dollars into our room. We have an unbelievable weight room. We've got a teaching theater. We have a player lounge, a kitchen that they fully stock with food from, you know, everything you want from yogurts to the biosteel protein powder to bread, meats, cheese, eggs, cereal. Like you go on and on and on. We have a fully stocked kitchen. So these guys never even have to worry about eating before coming to the rink. They can do it at the rink. And then obviously our actual locker room uh, just got redone as well. Brand new stalls. Like it's, a massive TV in it. We have hot tub in here, cold tub. Um, you know, we have coaching offices. You go on and on and on. We have, we have invested in the pep. We have the shooting screens. Like they've done everything they can to provide us with resources to be a successful organization. A lot of teams, I know when they get on the bus, if say you're in Sarnia and you're going to play London, like you're responsible for bringing like a tub of spaghetti or whatever it is on the bus. Every time we go play a road game, that's a down and back outside of Flint. We fully cater in a meal here before we leave. So players will show up. They have a fully catered meal in our lounge. Then they'll pack the bus. Then we'll go play a game. We'll stop at Tim Hortons, pay for their Tim Hortons order in the town. A lot of the guys will get a bagel or muffin and a coffee, whatever it is. We'll pay for it. We go play. And then obviously we feed our players after and we supply the protein powder. So as an organization, we've done a great job providing our players with every resource they can possibly want to be successful. And 
Um, I think that's what people don't really realize about organization is the amount of investment that our owners put in to this team to be successful both on and off the ice. And they're demanding with how you carry yourself and how much time you give to your community and what you do academically. And obviously they want to win, but they just know if they worry about everything else outside of just the results, the results will take care of itself. So um, we are a hidden gem. We're always scratching the surface to find ways to get better with analytic companies and way we do video and we're looking at sport performances coaches and the list goes on. We have a full-time strength coach like that is phenomenal. And again, we we're all about player development. Our, our number one goal is to, is to develop players on and off the ice. And, and we try to structure everything we do about our program about that. So we can go on and have success. And if we worry about developing the players and they do develop every single guy, our team's going to win games naturally because they're just guys are getting better. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to hear that the ownership is uh, committed. And I think uh, I've been a part of like junior B programs and, and Sarnia and things like that. And, and when you see that uh, effort put in off the ice, once again, it translates to success on, on the ice and recruitment and things like that become easier. So uh, moving on to the next question, one of the favorite questions of listeners on the podcast is a day in the life uh, of the position. So looking at your position, walk us through your routine on an off day and then maybe on a game day. Off day being a practice? Yes. Yeah. So I like I'm 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 an early guy. Like I I'm obsessed with my job. So I have a hard time sleeping during the year, win, loss, middle of the week. Like I'm up, you know, I'm in the rank five thirty usually every day, sometimes earlier. And uh really I love it because you get to turn on the lights, you get that first coffee in the morning, no one's around you, you get a couple minutes to kind of just be in the rink and feel the rink and then get going on your day. I I tons of video like you go through on an off day you're watching a ton of video getting individual meetings set up or team meetings set up um usually our players for the most part will come in at 10 30 the morning club guys that are in high school so they'll get on they'll do a skill session or a gym session and then a lot that's where we'll tackle a lot of our one-on-one meetings with that group of guys where we'll be grabbing guys the whole staff will showing clips of their past weekend or just different skill stuff um that we want them to work on and really Usually that's your older group that comes in a great opportunity is to sometimes we take them for breakfast. We listen to what they have to say. We talk about issues that maybe we're seeing what they think, how we can fix it. We really incorporate them on the process of like, what do we need to work on as a team? Is there anything we need to address? How can we help you guys? What do you need from us? So we do a good job developing those relationships and really creating that partnership with that older group that really leads your team. Um, so we spend you know most of our day in the morning is that, we meet every day as a staff at uh, at uh, 9.30, an hour before those guys to get in, make sure we lay out everything for the day, anything that we need to get done, any issues they see, you know, just kind of an open discussion, have a coffee. Uh, players usually roll in from high school around 12.30. Every day, for the most part, we'll have a goalie session at 1 to 1.45. So AJ will go out, the goalies do his thing at 1.15. So usually he likes the first 20, 25 minutes, like doing – no shooter stuff working on all the technical stuff so at 115 we'll always do a daily video session that video session usually relates to our practice like if we're working on you know line rush or ozone or scoring or skills we'll show video from either our games nhl games or players using those skills at a different level to show what we want that day so our, and then talk about how our practice is going to incorporate it so we use our 115 session every day to do that uh aj will take his shooters that he has uh, usually around the 125, 130 mark um, for 20 minutes of, of his goalie shooting. Every day at 140, our power play goes out until 2 o'clock, and then at 2 o'clock we'll flood. So every day at 140, our PP goes out, sometimes one unit, sometimes both, sometimes just the flank players or the net front guys will work on specific isolated skills with those positions in a power play. We'll flood the ice at 2, 2.15 practice starts. We're usually done by 3. Most of the guys are in the gym by 3.30 because they'll shoot and work on some skills at 3 to 3.15 and then get off the ice. And then uh, our, our strength guys there at 3.30 puts them through a workout. And then they're usually home in their billet house by 5 for dinner. And that's how we structure our day-to-day. For me, you know, after practice, we'll spend some time meeting with other players that couldn't get in in the morning with video and talking to the younger guys and same kind of process. What do they need? Do they see anything, et cetera? Home, hopefully by six, six thirty. spend some time with the wife and my two little daughters. And then usually back on the computer at night, whether it's an NHL game or getting ready for the next day. And then same thing on a game day, uh, same time, almost every time in at five thirty. obviously you're adapting your video to the meetings that you have that night. 
Uh, we're a little bit different. Uh, if we play at Friday and we have all the guys coming in on a Saturday morning, I'll always cook them pancakes in the lounge. We have a little kind of like a hot plate thing. We'll do calm spirit cakes. We'll have spirit cakes in the morning and you know, that's a good half hour, 40 minutes where you're just, you know, you got two griddles going with about 12 pancakes and you got chocolate chips and some, none in the other. But what I do is I like to cook those pancakes for the guys, but then you spend time as a family. Like it's not about hockey. It's not about the game. It's listening to these guys, these goons tell their stories and chirp each other. They maybe throw a chirp at me. We throw one back. Like as a staff, we're sitting there, we're kind of enjoying ourselves. And we go from there into our meeting, our morning meetings, and then they can go on and do the ice and do whatever they got to do before they go home and get ready for a game. So we go from a family environment to like, okay, let's put our work helmet on here for 10 minutes and get through some video stuff that's relating to tonight. And then the guys go home and, and uh, really as a staff, like from, from there until about five 30, it's choose your poison. Like you want to stay at the rink. Do you want to go home and have a nap? Like got every guy has a different routine. I'm a rink guy. I don't like going home. So I can't sleep anyway. So I stay at the rink, get video ready, maybe get set up for the next day. Sometimes I just go sit in the stands. You stare at the rink and you just like, you get excited about the game and you're all, you know, so I just go through that process. A lot of times I maybe I'll go out for breakfast at a spot that I like to go to all the time and have the same, omelet and just a couple cups of coffee and just relax for the afternoon but I bounce between the rink and that is my routine on a game day so you know you get home after the game late and you get up the next day and you do the same thing so that uh, I know I jumped around on different times but that's the nutshell like it's it looks the same almost every day. It's, it's great to hear about those routines and I think the the best thing about this is no matter you know it's assistant coach head coach everybody has a different routine and uh, even in the same league it, it's always different so um, very interesting to hear that routine and I'm sure others listening will uh, appreciate the, the detail and things as well and, and maybe there's some things that they can take away but um, you know interesting nonetheless so uh, before- you know what I would suggest just if, if anyone is listening Ryan is like find a way on your game day morning the value we've gotten from the pancake thing and it doesn't have to be pancakes I know not everyone has the same setup but even just buying a couple jugs of those Tim Horton coffee and some and sit around with your players. It's amazing the information you can pull or what they think about the game coming up or whatever it is. Like I learn so much from our group from that half hour setting doing that, that sets me up for the the night, the week, weeks to come. You, you learn quickly. If there's a player having an issue, you can just see it in the group. So really like if you just take the time on a game day to invest in your guys and take down the walls of coach player and just be people it's amazing what you learn about your team and how much you can improve your team by gathering information there and just really connecting with your players and like being a human and being vulnerable and, and laughing at yourself and whatever it is like it. Uh, I think one of the best adjustments in our program has been doing that because really like we've got to the point now where we're a family because of those type of things where guys are comfortable coming in my room with any issue. They have an issue with me. If I have an issue with them, if there's an issue with their ice time, issue off ice, something in their personal life, they know I'm not going to yell at them. We're going to have an honest conversation, but at the end of the day, I'm going to love them and I'm going to support them. And we're going to do whatever we can together to get through whatever the issue is. And I think building that relationship in those, that environment has allowed the, the safe environment that we've talked about earlier to be created for guys to come in here with anything. Even if they have an issue with me or something we're doing at practice, I challenge guys all the time, come in, tell me, because if you don't say nothing, I think we're doing something well. If you do, we'll talk about it, we'll work on it, we'll adjust. Our program will get better. I will get better. You will get better. Everybody wins. And the guys have taken that to heart. And uh, I, I tell you, that meeting, that half hour kind of meeting every day on game days there has been unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it's, it's not something uh, very formal. It could be just informal, making pancakes or having a coffee and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, it will uh, – play a part and and help build that relationship with coaches and players specifically um as someone who's held a lot of coaching positions you've been able to have these experiences and try these different things and uh, as well on the ice you've had big wins and you've also experienced tough losses looking at coaching overall how important do you think it is for a coach specifically to have these experiences at the lower levels before moving into somewhere like the ohl it's critical i think for a lot of reasons one like it's tough. Like there, I've never won a game seven in the OHL, for an example, we lost one in Sarnia in the first round when we were a two seed and we lost to a seven seed to a good Sioux, Sioux team. And then being up in the conference final up three games to one, we lost game seven and blew a three, one series lead. And like, I've learned more from losing there. It's tough. Like, you know, I, I would take a win in those games all day, but I've learned more from those losses because you have to be able to self-reflect and, 
really look at and analyze what went wrong and be critical of yourself as much as it painful it is to look at those losses. Like you have to be able to self-reflect and grow as a coach. Nobody's ever going to be perfect and run the table and never lose a game. So even on those minor hockey levels, like you learn so much, if you actually go back and sit down and, and don't make excuses and all oh, this guy didn't play well. And we, you know, goalie needed to stop that. Like, look at yourself. Like, what can we have done preparation wise different? Is there something tactically we didn't do well? Is our team built the right way? Why, why not? Is our style the right way? Why, why not? Like, did I make some ridiculous coaches on the decisions on the bench? Did I, you know, whatever it is, like self-reflect, find those answers and allow yourself to grow. So when you get back into that situation, hopefully it goes the other way. So, um, and you've heard millions of coaches in every sport, like learning, you don't accept losing. It's not like, Oh, it's cool to lose before you win. Like you want to win right away, but you're going to learn a lot more from losing because it's failure. Right. And it's an opportunity to make adjustments. And when you win, sometimes you think like you don't self-reflect because you think you've done everything right. You got the result. And I think you've got to, whether you win or lose, you've got to look back critically and analyze why that happened. And looking back in that three, one series lead. Like, so one of the worst losses, if you talk about minor hockey was losing the OHL cup, we lost to a wild card team and we were an unbelievable Marley team. And that loss to this day, like still eats me alive. And it's, it's uh, one of the tougher losses of my life because we had two years with that Marley group myself. And I know Danny Brown was with those guys since day one, but you wanted to end that experience with those guys on a win and you go out and you lose to a wild card team, the Mississauga rebels that had Monaghan and, and guys like that, which were a good team. But that loss to this day, like it rips your heart out of your chest and, and uh, it crushes you. And you, you just, I don't think you ever really get over it. Cause I still think about it sometimes when I'm driving and it bugs me that we couldn't win that game with that group and go out in a high note. And same with those two game sevens in the OHL. I know the one in Saginaw because I was the head coach. Like there's not a day go by since that loss. And it's not, it's, it's true as could be that I don't think about that loss every single day. And it's been almost two years now or a year and a bit. Um, it just, it bothers you to the core because you want, you want to win so bad you want to have success. And and I think a lot of, I made a lot of ridiculous, stupid decisions in that series that honestly cost us the series. Like I, I tried to be smarter, the smartest guy in the room and, it, and I blew it and I made some dumb, dumb decisions. And, and, uh, but I know I'm better today as a coach for it, but it's still tough to, to swallow because you didn't get the job done when you're up three, one and you're one way away from the finals. And I thought we could have, could have won. Yeah, it's definitely tough, but as you said, you're able then to reference that and go back and, and learn from it. And hopefully, you know, down the road, when that situation comes again, you approach it differently. So uh, looking at references, what are some books, articles, things like that, that you look to uh, outside of the game, maybe for, uh, for new ideas and stuff moving forward? Yeah, I read the athletic a lot. I thought there's, there's a lot of good stuff there. Like you scan Twitter, there's always somebody talking about something. If you follow certain accounts, to be honest, like I read a ton of books, I mean, I got a whack here right now. I'll read some titles on you that I got to finish up. But, uh, and a lot of them, like it's like one is, is you win in the locker room first. Great book. Like again, about culture and, and obviously a lot of people run the energy bus or read the energy bus. The score takes care of itself above the line by urban Meyer. Really great book for a lot of cool ideas on developing your culture and your leaders, uh, in your group. I'll be honest. Like, um, what I love to do is like a guy like Mike McKenzie, Kitchener Rangers GM will post the books he's read that summer. And a lot of people will reply to us post with the books they read. So I start screen capturing those when they show the books and go out and find ones that I think relate to me, but you can never read enough. I think uh, there's always good ideas that you've got to find a way to apply. Um, you know, I think the other thing too, like people always talk about reading in different resources, watch hockey. Like I know right now I'm, going through all the NHL games that I've watched this summer and the clips I've, you know, pulled from those games and study, study like what different teams are doing, why it's working, and then really look at, okay, if we want to play that way, like how do we get our team to play that way? What are the skills we have to develop? How do we develop that through practice? How do we develop that through video? What's making these teams work? And I think a lot of people invest times in reading all these things. And I do, I'm a big reader, but I invest a lot of my time too, just to studying hockey and hockey at every level from the, KHL, Swedish League, American League, past Memorial Cups. I've watched a lot of the OHL Rewind games and these championship games. Like, how are these teams winning? How are they built? You know, you know, what type of things do we need to do here for our team to have that success? So just studying the game of hockey, I think, at the end of the day, is the best resource out there. And then complement it with what you read and, and different things you find. Yeah, it's a similar answer that we get a lot is, uh, you know, there's so many different resources, but 
the game itself really is one of the best and uh, that could be looking at the game in the video, but it could also be talking with uh, coaches and managers and things like that, which is a lot of the, you know, one of the main reasons for the podcast, but uh, throughout your career, you've had a number of mentors and you've touched on a few different people who have helped you. Uh, once again, just mention who those mentors are and then what are some of the major lessons that you were able to take uh, from those interactions and also your experiences. Yeah, I think everyone I've been around, I would uh, honestly I would consider a mentor because I think, you know, I love learning off people and I've learned a lot of good things and a lot of bad things too. Like I just think, you know, analyzing relationships and, and pulling your experiences from that. But I, I would say like hockey wise, Dan Brown, uh, when I was with the Marlies changed my view on how you should develop a team and coach a team. And he was ahead of his time for sure, because it was all about skill development and player development. We never worked on breakouts. We never even worked on our special teams once in, in the Marlies, like never. It, it was a lot of split groups, a lot of drills, working on different skills. And he, it was really like it, it, I going in, I'm like, man, this is ridiculous. Like we don't do anything structurally wise. And then I understood why he was doing it and it changed my whole philosophy on how to coach. And, and it, to this day still affects me where I look at it from that lens. Now, like I know in SAG, we barely work on D zone coverage and neutral zone four check and, you know, systems. We do that through video in the video room and yeah, we'll touch on the odd thing, but we try to build our guys in small settings, like skill settings, pulling pieces out of the system that we want to play on and working on how to develop that. Um, and that comes from a guy like Danny Brown. He just, he's the best mentor and how he dealt with his players. And again, a guy that obviously had a son on the team, but he loved those kids. And to this day still loves that group because he had them since they were, they were younger and just how he treated and, and talked with his players, like eye opening and, and uh, you know, one of the best hockey guys I've been around and he's had a lot of really good minor hockey teams and good players that have come from him that he's developed. So uh, he's probably the biggest mentor. And then, you know, even guys like drinks, who's my boss and Nick Sinclair and hatch and, and all these guys, loots and carbs, like they're, they're mentors because they're showing you the way when you're not there yet and how things are done. And, and uh, you know, you just appreciate being around good people that work hard. Yeah. And in the game, there really is so many good people and so many different takeaways that you can have through those uh, interactions and, and just asking questions and being around them and, and watching their routines and things like that. As a final question, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself, uh, maybe when you were finishing up playing and looking to get into coaching or someone in a similar position, uh, what's one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they'd become a coach in OHL? Yeah, it's a great uh, question. I think one, you know, like not necessarily for myself, but everybody else, like don't do it for money, do it for love and passion. And, um, you know what, like it, don't make it about yourself either. When I first started out coaching, I thought it was about me trying to make a career as a hockey coach and get to the next level. And I quickly learned it's about the players and it's about their experience and, you know, um, making safe environments and just developing them and trying to give them every tool they can to have success. And like, don't worry about your success. And I think when I started out, it was, that's, it was all about me trying to get to the next level. Now it's about, players and and uh just loving the guys that you coach and and uh you know today with so many mental health issues and, and young guys feeling anxiety like letting them know that you care about them and it's okay to feel you know scared or anxious or you know it's okay to worry about failure like be there with them and try to grow through that experience is, is like a shoulder to lean on type guy before before your hockey coach and I think uh that would be the biggest advice man just care about your people and develop your people and everything else will take care of itself yeah, being personable is such a key asset. And like you said, when you take care of off the ice, the on ice product will uh, will follow suit. Uh, Chris, I just want to thank you once again for taking some time today to join me on the podcast. And uh, hopefully things are back in routine soon. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I, I look forward to uh, listening more guests too. I think it's cool. I love listening to guys' stories. I think that's the best thing about your podcast is everybody has a story. Everybody has a different way of how they got through hockey and I think it's cool for guys wanting to get in or guys coming up to listen to these different stories and there's always something every guy that I've listened to on your podcast that I can relate to and be like oh man I remember that and it's uh it's cool because you dive in between their stories and what's made them successful or their experiences and I uh, look forward to listening to more of your guests well I really appreciate that all the best okay well, thanks I'd like to thank Chris for joining me on the podcast and diving into a number of topics about his career and various experiences. 
Like I said before, Chris is a very approachable coach and looks to create a family-like atmosphere with his players, which I'm sure others will look to do down the road. So for giving his thoughts on that area of coaching and others, I'd like to thank him once again. If you would like to get in touch with Chris to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Mark Yates, Director of North America with Instat Sport. Offering viewpoints from a service like Instat, as well as various team settings, Mark will bring a lot to the table, so check back for that one on this upcoming Sunday. Once again, thank you everyone for supporting the podcast, and be sure to give your thoughts and opinions towards the podcast on our various platforms. As always, stay safe, and all the best. Yeah.